We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 369. Your AL East champs for the first time since 2012, baby. New York Yankees have won the division, step one in their uh, in their quest. I was, uh, what's up, Scott? First of all, good morning. What's up? How you doing? Uh, nice, nice little early Monday morning, talking uh, a little celebration, a little, uh, I'm getting ready. I feel like it's, it's getting so close that I can feel it. it it's We've been talking about it getting close for weeks, but now it's actually like it's there, baby. Yeah, with, the, the, with the fact that they've clinched, um, and now we're almost like setting pitchers up. Yep, feels good. feels Feels like we're uh, we're, we're getting damn close. Yeah, there's one final thing to be determined. That's home field advantage, but uh, it looks nip like in the H- air. Looks like Houston is uh, is got that uh, locked up at, at at this moment. But uh, I was talking. I went to the game on Saturday. Yeah. And I was talking with uh, some of the guys there, and we were, you know, the four finger celebration the guys do whenever they like hit a double or something. Right. We thought we were speculating maybe that means four goals for this year: win the division, win the ALDS, win the ALCS, win the World yeah. Series. Yeah. But Judge hit a double on Saturday and still held up the four fingers. Right. So, do you think that that now that because I saw that on Twitter as well, I've seen a couple people. Uh, I don't even remember who they were. I've just seen it in, in the feeds and such. Okay. And, so yeah. wouldn't he have held up three fingers if that was yes, the case? Yes, yes. But then yeah, everybody would know what it was too. So 
so they're still trying to <laughs> sell, sell them off, uh, put them off their scent. Yeah, I mean, do you think like these guys are on, on social media? They know that people are trying to figure it out. They've or known they've forgot. been trying to figure it out all year long, huh? <laughs> or he forgot. No, they didn't. They just what I think is happening. If that was the original one, like maybe that's the thing, and and maybe uh, maybe it, maybe it still is. Maybe they're just saying still four four goals, even though ones there like in our mind four goals, whatever. Even if that is that, like if I'm them, I'm definitely not holding up a three now. Like you guys are definitely not going to know what we're doing at this point because so, we've held it in this long, and I don't want to know honestly because you know what it's been working. So, so whatever they're doing, I think you guys should stop trying to figure this out and just let it be. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, it's like you get something, you got a group of buddies and you get sort of an inside joke. And yeah. a lot of times they, they are born out of something stupid happening. Right. So the, what we're, we're overanalyzing this thing. They sat down in like the clubhouse meeting and said, what is our celebration every time we hit a double? Oh, we have four goals this year. Let's hold up four fingers. When in reality, it could have been something as stupid as Luke where... Luke Voigt ripped four farts in a row that cleared out the clubhouse. Exactly. Yeah. Or like someone tried to give a high five and his thumb got caught and he only gave a high four. Or something. something stupid that we would never guess. And they're like, oh, that's funny. Let's just hold up four fingers when we hit a double. So yeah, exactly. They're a bunch. Of, don't don't forget that that these are a bunch of twenty-something-year-old men, boys in uh, playing baseball, playing a kids' game, acting, you know, as as youthful and exuberant and and just having fun. That that's what they're doing in there. Like if you've spent time in a dugout, like it's there's dumb things that happen in dugouts. Oh, you just don't say absolute dumb. You don't say. I couldn't tell after watching that celebration the other night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Tommy so, Kelly yeah. doing slip and slides and Tyler Wade dropping F-bombs on the Yes Network and, yeah. and them dousing Meredith with champagne and, and a whole bunch of stuff going on. Nobody it's wants all, to think about like, fun. yeah, nobody wants to think about real life and like all those. It, that, to me, that's a little that that's probably too serious for what they were. You know, when Judge was coming up and all those other guys that were coming up with him, um, it was him and uh, uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Austin, I think, would do it, would do it a, more often than other guys, too. But there were some of the other uh, AAA guys and AA guys that were sprinkled in. But on Instagram, Judd, they would always like, uh, or Judge would always go in someone's comments and put like a moon, just a, a moon emoji. Okay. And What does that mean? I, what, I have no what idea. What did that mean? I have no idea. To this day, I don't know. So, but I, but I was Maybe trying Tyler to figure Austin it out. Maybe Tyler Austin was a big mooner. Maybe that was his favorite person. No, nah, no. Nah, it was more about Judge. It was something about Judge. It was definitely something about Judge because a lot he of the guys... One, he hit one to the moon? No, it was, it was more in like the context of something funny happens or like... Or they're, or they're trying to like, you know, razz him a little bit and like the moon emoji. And sometimes the players would just put the moon emoji. And it's like... And it was a dark moon. So, I don't know. There was, there's, there's definitely inside things that these guys do on social media that are their own that we will never know. No. Maybe somebody knows that. I don't know. But uh, the four finger thing, maybe they'll say it at the end of the year. But I kind of hope they keep it to themselves until the job is done. Do you think, um, you know, back when back when all you got from teams was what the beat writers would write in the newspapers? So like 50s, 60s, 70s. Do you think all this kind of stuff was speculated about? Or 80s, was, 90s. Um, what? Well, no. Yeah. Well, so the reason I don't say like 80s, 90s is because. TV started like the TV broadcasts were more immersive still at that point. So like in the nineties, at least, even though there was no social media, you saw personalities, you saw personalities more because cameras would zoom in and the cameras were higher quality than they were back then. But like, I'm talking about like way back when it was all you knew was what the guy wrote in the newspaper the next morning. Hey there, the babe going up there at the front of the bat and the guy's wearing a Held up four cap. fingers when he reached second base. I tell you, like, do you think that was discussed? Cause I, I don't think it was. 
No, which emojis he used? Probably not. No, not not which emojis he used. Definitely not which emojis. No, he because used. it was a different world as the, uh, then too. Like they're not holding up. They're not also celebrating at second base in the fifties. <laughs> Hold, holding up, like, they get a fastball. Holding up their... a high, yeah, holding up a high sign to the dugout and like laughing about it. They'd no. get a fastball to the neck the next time up. Yeah, they, in their temple, their careers would be over. <laughs> Uh, so any takeaways from the celebration? Uh, I'm glad, like we said, that it happened after a win and not after a Tampa loss. Um, yeah. Tanaka yeah. pitched well in that in that game against Anaheim. And um, you could kind of tell, like, it, it just from watching the celebration, this the, winning the division meant something. And it's something that I think, obviously, they had a goal of doing last year, and Boston just just had a perfect year and won eight more games than them. So to win it this year, I think like you could tell from that celebration and the guys that were talking and the what Judge was saying and what Gardner was saying and what Sabathia was saying, this was very important to them. Yes, because I, whether the four fingers are symbolizing these, these you know, tick marks of their end goal, I do think that they had goals laid out, very specific goals, and Number one, and people are talking about the celebration thing. Like we, we've had this discussion. I think in 2016 we started this discussion 17. about cele- 17. It's about celebrating in, um, you know, prematurely at different points. First of all, those were had the wild card surrounding them. This and is we, different. And this we is were the, also like, uh, you got to go play like a division series 24 hours later. Don't get too wasted tonight. Yeah, this is like you got. This, gotta, is, this is symbolic as well. This is this is like very much symbolic. I mean, they haven't had that title since uh, 2012. Yep. They are going in there, beating Boston, the the, the um, defending world champions in the division. Of course, that's going to be your first thing you have to do. You got to take care of that because if you don't do that, then something else is going on, and you're either playing for a one game play in, or you're or you're out of the playoffs. So, again, a lot of symbolic things happening there, and I think the way that this season went down, like the fact that they got this, uh, they got this ALE's crown at the you know at this point in the season, and, and just really took off after the All-Star break, is, is definitely something to be proud of. I think more, you know, uh, more this year than in, in years previous because of the way that they've done it and the way that they've uh, you know, had all these guys step up in different times. So, yeah, I think they were super pumped about it, and they should be. Yeah, the getting mad about celebration, I'm done with it. It's yeah, me too. I, I'm totally over Because it. at this point, we just know they're going to celebrate. If they win the division series, they're going to celebrate. If they win the ALCS, they're going to celebrate. And Not that I ever had a problem with it. I just didn't really care. Um, no, I mean, but so my, uh, what I remember us talking about was that we were questioning, did the nineties Yankees celebrate after every series win? Right. And they probably did. It just, we didn't have cameras in the clubhouse. Yeah. The clubhouse. And we didn't have Instagram videos up in 10 minutes. Exactly. There was a lot of, maybe there was, it was probably a lot more subdued, but again, culture is different now than it was in the nineties. And uh, the fact that digital media is everywhere and that everybody wants to see the inside, you know, look of what's happening with the guys in the clubhouse at all times. Like if, 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 if uh, the Yes Network had their way, like there would be, you know, head cameras on every one of these guys. They, they would all be wearing body cameras yeah. and yeah, GoPros and they'd all be mic'd up. And they, you know what I mean? Like we want as much inside access as we can possibly get. Um, but they, they just, uh, and that's, that's ramped up over the years. So that's, that's another reason I think why. I think uh, it might be subdued after if they do win the ALDS. I think they would do a little bit of a subdued thing because in 2017, it was unexpected. They beat Cleveland, which was not supposed to happen. So yeah. they, they kind of don't set you, you're set. you're setting some expectations right now. No, I, I'm, I still think they'll have champagne and they'll spray each other. But 
I don't think they're going to have Tommy Canely doing slip and slides and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, probably not. Uh, so why did the Yankees win the AL East? Well, last year they didn't take care of business in their own division. This year they went 54-20, and 20, which is the best record out of any team in Major League Baseball for in-division. Uh, they went 20-0-3 in their last 23 home series. Another reason why home pretty field, good. That's another, pretty good. Another reason why home field is so important. A couple of those uh, were two game splits. So does that um, that goes back to May, doesn't it? I, I don't May know exactly June. when it, it was goes May or back June. to, but um, there was a couple two game splits and then one four game split that was with Cleveland. And as it stands now, Houston does have uh, the lead for for home field because they each have 102 wins, but Houston has one more one fewer loss, so they have one more game to play. And if they end up with the same record, as we know, Houston wins. So the Yankees right. need to finish a game ahead. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be tough because Houston's playing crappy teams. The Yankees seem like at least for – like Tampa's trying to win these next two games because Tampa needs to win to get, make the playoffs. The Yankees are going with openers, and then they're going to be testing out Sabathia and Hap in the uh, bullpen this week in Tampa. It almost seems like the Yankees are using these next uh, five games as practice. Well, I think that at, at this point, we're, you're looking at, you know, we're going after the AL East. You're trying to win, of course. Uh, or I'm sorry, you're trying to win home field advantage, of course. And, you know, the whole narrative, what, two weeks ago was like, oh, they're not trying. They're not trying to win home field advantage. All this. The situation is no different. Still within a game, two games, you know, tied, whatever it is. It's not any different than it was. No, they were the, trying. The, Do you see the lineup they put out on Friday no, I, night? I, the night I know after that. They won? But, but I'm saying, like, when you look forward and you see that Tampa is going to be gearing up trying to do this, of course they're going to be trying. But at the same time, like, you have to make sure that your pitching is lined up. You have to make sure that if anybody has any kind of discomfort anywhere ever at all, if a toenail was clipped too damn short, judge sits. I'm serious. Glaber not Torres joking. is not going to be playing this week because Glaber of Torres that needs situation. to rest his ass, rest his knee, his hips, whatever the hell it is, his hamstrings, everything. Were you watching uh, yes. during that? I thought he got what shot. What was your reaction? The screams, no. <laughs> I screamed, oh, fuck. <laughs> Leanne comes running and she goes, what happened? I was like, I think Glaber Torres died. <laughs> He's like writhing around on the ground in pain. And so many scenarios were flashing before my eyes. The trainers run out and then he pops up. And I'm like, yeah. it's just the popping up and then what you were doing 12 seconds earlier does not match up. I understand he was probably scared. He really injured himself, but yeah, he felt something that was probably a sharp pain that could have been a number of things, but um, yeah, they left was, him in the game and then they pull him. It's like, if you're going to be cautious, just pull him right there. Why are you playing around? Not that I think he got injured more, but I don't know. It's just, I'm sure the conversation went was just like, let's, let's just get you out of the game. Like, you know, you're telling us you feel good. I, well, no, he said my legs anyway. felt weak after. He said that after the game or the next day? He, he's, that's what he told Boone when Boone pulled him. So yeah. they left him in for a couple innings. He got in that bat, and then he said, my legs feel weak. Okay, yeah. you, you pull. So now, so now the um, – first of all, don't ever listen to a player if they're telling you they're fine. If they're telling you they're hurt, then you definitely listen to them. <laughs> but if they're telling you they're fine, don't listen to them. So basically make your own judgments is what well, I'm saying. Well, also, you got to uh, – it's all about scenario, right? Like if this is – Game seven of the ALCS, maybe Glaber Torres finishes that game. But if it's game after you clinch and yes, yeah, like you Didi, want to feel the advantage, but it doesn't really make a huge difference, like let's get you out of the game. Similar to what Didi, when, when he made that throw in Boston and uh, yeah. you know, apparently tore, tore something in his arm and then just kept playing. It didn't really say much. 
Um, but again, you have adrenaline going on that time. It looked bad, but look, I'm not. We've talked about injuries enough that are actual injuries. So um, let's just hope it's. Uh, let's it's, not talk it's, about injury scares. Yeah, let's just yeah, let's not get there. Let's not take it that far. Let's just hope it's just you know something that stays day to day. That's it. I, I right. just I really hope it is because you know he, he's had issues with the groin and the hip, um, and you know there's a lot of connections in there. Hip, with the hamstrings and the hip bone, or the, the the muscles and the core and the the groin and a lot of connections in there. So I'm just I'm, I'm knocking on wood and hoping that that he's all good. All good. What about like what's he sleeping on on the plane to Tampa? Because it better be a it better be they better get him a mattress in that plane. And they put need it some in the damn comfort in that thing. It, it, there's no pod. They, they need some comfort. They need to get Glaber Torres a sleep number bed so he has a comfortable night's sleep to rest that hamstring or whatever is wrong with him. And it is also the 100th year of the NFL. More than 1,800 NFL players are now sleeping on sleep number beds. Uh, the Jets certainly have not been sleeping on a sleep number bed, Scott. They're 0-3. They, they're, their quarterback has mono. The Giants have a new quarterback, so a bunch of Yankees fans, a bunch of Giants fans are excited about that. Um, but sleep number is the best uh, way to get a good night's sleep. It is so important, as we've talked about, you had a baby in the last couple of years. You know how important sleep is. I've got a wedding coming up. I got nerves. The Yankees are going to the playoffs. I'm nervous about that. Too. I'm nervous about everything, frankly. Um, but when you sleep on a sleep number bed, you get a, a perfect night's sleep. Sleep number beds allow you to adjust each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The sleep number uh, 360 smart bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and uh, gain insights for your best sleep. There's even analytics in sleeping now. Yeah, you got, you're, you're basically sleeping with a nerd when you're sleeping on a sleep number bed. So experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from 999 bucks. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash Bronx. Sleep Number should come out with like an out, like, um, like a metric, like an XSLP to give you like how, how well you're sleeping so that they can get some sabermetrics nerds involved in their, uh, in their sleeping uh, in their beds. I wouldn't be surprised if it already exists. It doesn't, uh, you know, not... Maybe not talked about yet, but they could they could definitely get behind it. So I'm going to give you the next minute to gloat about DJ LeMayhew's uh, home run total for this yeah. season. Yep. Oh, right now. Starting now. Starting so, now. Um, You're on the I'm, clock. I'm the smartest person alive. Uh, you and Frank are dumb. I'm, uh, I saw every, I basically saw the future when, when DJ LeMayhew got signed. And I first got to look at the player and his swing and where all these things. And I'm like, well, you know what? I didn't even know the balls were juiced at that point. I mean, that just made things easy for me. The, uh, the, the LeMahieu's peppering right field. It's, it's, it's perfect, the fact that the 25 um, was, was to right field at Yankee Stadium. I mean, it's like poetic, beautiful, beautiful poetic DJ LeMahieu uh, season. He hit 26, so I'm sure that made Frank feel a little bit better than not just sitting on 25. I kind of wanted to sit on 25 because I felt like it would have hurt more. And I'm, he also I'm all was about stuck on 24 for a little bit. He was. I really was not worried. I, I, if I'm being honest, I was not worried because for 
I just knew he was going to do it. He's just he's he's the that guy who's been doing it all year long. So I well, just the, you know, I was like, I got to be patient. I got to be patient. He's going to be fine. He's playing. He's healthy. He had a little slump. That's what I was slump- saying. He's slumping for like maybe like ten games. So that was like, oh, he's stuck on a home run. But you but could he's also you slumping. could see it. You know, he started getting oh, that right sure. field singles down, and then all of a sudden he's starting to hit the wall. I'm like the home runs are next. It's coming. It's, it's, also it's be coming. Clear. Like, slumping for D.J. LeMahieu is not like a two for 50. It was like, he was going one for four. So his right. average was like 250 for a few games. So I, you know, one, it's been a lot of fun watching him all year long. This has made it more fun, obviously, with some uh, some milestones along the way. Kicking your ass with the 20, making my predictions, pretty much all of them accurate. And then we go to 25, which was a, really just a bet that I wasn't that confident in because I had some beers. And then when I saw him going <laughs> on the season, I was like, man... He really could do this. I think he's going to do it, actually. Well, he picked it up. Um, the first month, he really wasn't hitting home runs. And no. it was not looking like he was going to even sniff 20. So yeah. one thing I'm actually interested in is how projections for next season, like what they project for some guys. Because like Andrew, Brett have Gardner, we not just destroyed the reason why pro- pro- projections of these, these numbers are This year, are they have not been accurate. Trash. But in, in prior years, they're very accurate. So this year, the balls have made them not accurate. So it'll be I'll, like Brett Gardner is going to sniff 30 home runs this year. Okay. He's got 27. Yeah. He could hit 30 home runs if he has a hot five games to finish the season. Yeah. Say he finishes on 30 home runs. What are projections going to project him for next year if he plays? Under 20? 30. Well under, under 30. Or like, is it going to be like 25? Is it going to be 17? Is it going to be 12 like he normally hits? Well, I like, think they're going to have to wait because they're going to have to see what the adjustments are to this ball, you know, if they are making any too. So I think. But Rawlings gonna be, is not going to not going to divulge that information because they're not even know. admitting Some there's anything know. different with the ball. Okay, behind the scenes, they they, they know are. what's happening. They're not saying anything with, that there's different with the ball. But there, I mean, there's not, been, not publicly. No, they're not saying anything out out. You know, their PR staff is not saying anything. You're right, but the people right. who are talking behind the scenes, they they know what's happening. So. Um, yeah, the projections will be lower than, than this year, too. I don't think they're... I think they're going to throw this year out because especially if they're making um, uh, adjustments to the ball. Uh, I got to give a shout-out to um, Joe... Joe... I'm totally going to screw up his last name. Uh, Talamo. Talamo. Uh, he's been doing the uh, DJ LeMahieu pace tweets all year long. So way to stick around, Joe. Way to, way to be my guy. And uh, I, I share this victory with everybody who has been following along because it's been a team effort. <clears throat> So the way the Yankees are setting up their um, rotation for this week, like we said, uh, openers Tuesday and Wednesday in Tampa. And Sabathia is supposed to pitch in relief in one of those games. And Hap is going to pitch in relief on Wednesday, I think. So probably Sabathia on Tuesday. And then they're going Paxton on Friday, Severino on Saturday, Tanaka on Sunday. Does that indicate that Paxton, Severino, Tanaka is the ALDS pitching order? It's it's definitely one of those uh, you know those little breadcrumbs those little scents on the trail. It looks like it. It looks like it very well could be. I mean, I think um, the way that Severino's been throwing and and just uh, just hasn't given up like a run yet. He got through five innings yesterday. Looks like he looks, looks he looks filthy. like Severino. Yep, he looks really good. He looks 90, absolutely good. What was it ninety pitches on Sunday for Severino? So we are. Um, I wrote. Hold on, I gotta find it because. Uh, 
So it was 80 pitches. It was 80 pitches. 80 pitches. Thought, yeah. So say he goes 90 pitches in his next outing or 95 pitches in his next Like I outing. said before, like I don't think it really that, – that doesn't matter to me as much because, one, they may not get to that point. And, two, if he's throwing 80 to 90 pitches, you could throw 95 pitches or 100 pitches. Or, yeah, it all like, depends it, on the situation and, it is and what the stress it is. level of the pitches. But he struck out nine batters, didn't walk anyone. He, he looks exactly like Severino. We expected Severino to look from the get-go is how he's looked so far in his first two starts. The beautiful thing about this whole thing is like, yeah, <laughs> he's coming back. He's back. He's, you know, maybe going to be completely stretched out and, and able to do what he wants. He's fresh. I mean, this dude has a live, fresh, ready-to-go arm. Has not, doesn't have a wear of the season. We have, a no, we have arguably, when, they're, when everybody's healthy, the best pitcher in baseball with a fresh arm. Ready to go for the playoffs. I mean, it could. That's good. If that is well. very good news. If he pitches well and the Yankees win the World Series, it could. We could look back and say, "Wow, that was a big blessing in disguise that Severino was shut down until middle of September." Last I mean, year, when risky. they were talking about it's Chris risky, Sale going but... down for the Red Sox, it was almost perfect timing for them because he was able to get down, uh, you know, sit down, not get the the late stress on his arm that pretty much gets him every single year and he was able to um you know try to get his arm ready to go for the playoffs like that's it was it was one of those uh, those scenarios with an injury you look back and you're like okay that was that was a good thing if you're if you're on that squad this when you're looking back not to say that we wouldn't uh, Yankees didn't need him or want him all year long of course they did but the situation being as it is right now we have a fresh uh, fresh arm with and, and and his name is Luis Severino <laughs> so he's throwing high 90s you know Going to probably touch 100 his first time out with the adrenaline in the playoffs. Like it's, he's, he's, uh, He looks good. He looks really good. Looks really good. And it does line I'm knocking up. knocking on every single piece of wood I can find. It does line up that he would pitch game two and Tanaka game three, which would be on the road, uh, whoever they play. And some people are worried about that because of Tanaka's home road splits. Um, he is now with Herman not going to be pitching. We'll talk about that whole situation. But... Now, Tanaka's the big guy with the drastic home road splits. And do you want to accommodate him and start him in game two? Um, Or do you want to throw your best, like we said, keep it simple, stupid, throw your best pitchers in that order? And I think I still agree Paxton because of his um, pretty much whole second half. Ten in a row. He's been, yeah, he's been dominant his whole second half. He is the sixth Yankees pitcher to win ten consecutive starts. And um, he's, he, looks, he looks consistent every start out. And I understand that when, when all is right, Luis Severino is your best pitcher. But I can't ignore what I've seen from Paxton for three months now. And well, no, it, it, but you're also splitting hairs at that point, too. Like, Luis Severino is, is damn good. But guess what? James Paxton is damn good, too. Like, James Paxton is pitching like a number one uh, bona fide ace at this point too. So that they're, they're one a and B if you're, if you're looking at both guys healthy in a year and both guys are at their peak, I mean, that's a one a and a one B anyway. So who cares? No, you know what I, I mean, like, no, you're, you're I mean, really the only dominant thing, guys, the only thing that I think it plays into here is that, um, Paxton in theory can go deeper into the game than Severino as a, the way today stands, you mean with the pitch count? Yeah. Okay. But, but the thing is, I, I don't think they're even, um, I mean, we're talking like one inning, you know, because they're not one, one inning can be is, a big a difference, though. Yes, I think one inning is a big difference when you're talking about lining up your bullpen for a potential opener situation in game four. Right. Well, 
Because it's the difference of maybe having to use Chad Green or not having to use Chad Green. But you can't plan for that one inning at the end of the game. You can't say, you know what, he gives us the potential of maybe having one more inning in the seventh. That's like, if you're making any kind of adjustments off of that, t- that scenario, you're a lunatic. Well, and, and I, you know, you're, you're not making good decisions because you're not preparing. You know, maybe that's a scenario thing, but it's not something that you base a decision off of. Another decision to consider is who do you want pitching twice in the series? Unless you're going with a three-man rotation, in which case Severino and Paxton would pitch twice in the series. That means Paxton is pitching games one and five. So okay. he's, the, he's the twice guy. Yeah, you, I think you that's cool pre- with that. Yes, of course I am. He's literally won ten in a row. Guy's been dominant. I, cool I mean, I don't. I'm just it's going to be tough. These to, are the things to see what happens um, as Severino continues to progress, and if they're able to get through the ALDS, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they treat him and, and you know how he goes. Because if there's an opportunity for him to pitch on short rest at some point, which it always lays out that way, you know, your 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 number one and two guys have the. Uh, the potential of pitching on short rest when you get into those seven-game series. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they how they treat that. Well, the one thing I was thinking about last night is because their bullpen is set up to where they can deal with a four-inning start. Right. Short rest in four innings is very doable. Yeah. Well, it's. I think the bigger the bigger risk for a, um, a, a short in or I'm sorry a a short outing a short distance between the two outings uh, time frame is, is the freshness of the guy from the beginning, from the jump. Not as, not as much as the distance, but how is he able to get out there and, um, and pitch from the beginning? Like, is he able to be the same guy? Is he able to have that same stuff from the first pitch? Not, not so much what he's going to look like in the fourth or fifth inning, but can he still give you those, um, you know, the very, the beginning quality starts that you're looking for? Can he still be that same guy? That's to me the bigger question mark than how far he's going to go. What's the biggest question mark in your mind with Tanaka? Um, I, so the, it's the home run ball. It's got to be, you know, him, him able to get swings and misses. I, I want him around the strike zone getting swings and misses. If he's able to keep that ball down uh, early and we're able to see that, I think, we're, um, I think we're good. I think there will be a lot of eyes on him when they start getting to that, uh, that third time through the lineup or, or even before that and to see what the at-bats look like on the second time through the lineup and, and what adjustments they're making. And... Um, and, and he's going to have to – he'll have a close eye when it, when it comes to that third time around if it, if it gets that far. Uh, it's, it's how he's gripping the splitter is the biggest question mark with, yeah, for me. I mean, because the ball down. Because, but, but it seems like with him, when we went through his game logs uh, a couple episodes ago, it was either – it was hit or miss. It was either he pitches five innings and gives up five runs or he pitches and gives up one or two runs or no runs like he did against the Angels in the clinching game where he pitched uh, seven innings and 86 pitches and looked filthy. He had a splitter from the very beginning. And unfortunately, it's a coin flip if he's going to have a splitter because of the grip on the baseball. He's experimenting. It just seems like some days he goes out there and he has it. Some days he goes out there and he doesn't have it. And I'm at the point now where I don't care if he's on the, at home or on the road. If he's at, on the road, if he's at home and he doesn't have a splitter, guess what? He's going to get hit. And then what is that? Is it the splitter grip or is it because he's not, is he pitching at home? You know what I mean? Yeah. People are like so concerned about these home road splits. And it's like, it's kind of a 50-50 proposition with, with Tanaka at this point, how he feels with the ball on that day. Yeah, I mean, I, we're saying the same thing. When I'm saying home runs, that's because the ball is probably up in the zone. I mean, if he's down and early, uh, you know, early and often low in the zone and he's getting those swings and misses because the ball, um, you know, has a different path 
from from where it's starting and it's dying uh, down and away, then I think he's 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 going to be good. But again, like even if it starts off with with that with the splitter and and you know the ball um, staying down in the zone, there's going to be such a close eye on him when when they get through when they're in that second time and looking to see how the at bats are changing from the opponents. And then you know again, if he gets through the second time and into the third, I think it's going to be quick. Uh, I don't think they're going to let him get into much trouble at that point, um, especially if he's. You know, again, it depends on the scenario, depending on if he's going game two or game three and, and, you know, what happened in front of him. Obviously, scenarios can change and make, I mean, the bullpen, if it's rested, uh, they, they could absolutely um, turn it into a very short start for him and then just go with his, their firepower. Yeah, and I think that's what ha- a lot depends on, a lot of what happens in game four depends on the first three games. <laughs> right. No, but I'm saying, like, they if they... If they get length out of their two of their three starting pitchers, then I think they can go with an opener. Otherwise, you might have to see Hap start a game. I, so if they're if they're, um, I, I don't think I don't think Hap starting would be the worst thing, honestly, because he's he's been he's been pretty good as of as of late. It seems like he's he's definitely turned it around. Uh, I have a lot more confidence in him today than I did a month ago. So I, I don't, and I think the Yankees do too, and I think Boone does as well. And I think that they see now a veteran guy who has somewhat figured it out a little bit, has more confidence and is able to get out there and, and compete at a higher level. Um, they're all bu- these situations they're testing them out of the bullpen this week. Yeah. And, and they should, they should, they should test every, they should see what it is. You know, I don't know how much a, a, a couple outings out of the bullpen looks and feels as far as a confidence and like what you think that that guy can do. I don't really know what that does. It Again, doesn't hurt. It, it's more just so when Hap is doing it in the playoffs, the it's not yeah. the first time he's doing it in his yeah, life. Yeah, and that's good. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. I, and we have the luxury of doing that. That's the thing. Like getting yourself ready for the playoffs or going balls out and trying to win this home, this, uh, home field and like, you know, making sure that you're not doing these things that need to be done because now you have the time to do those things. So what's more important? Making sure that you're right for uh, whatever your your scenario is in the playoffs or, you know, throwing caution against the wind and trying to win this home field when you really can't control it either because you have another team in the mix who's winning games too against crappy teams. So, look, the, the way that the playoffs are, obviously Boone has to have all of these different scenarios laid out. Like, what happens here? What happens here? What happens here? Depending on, you know, all things go well in game one, all things go well in game two, you know, they split. How does that split look? The pitching staff, the way that they're going to use it, the way that they're going to use an opener or a, a, a bona fide starter is going to depend on... Bonafide. <laughs> right. Do you think they're going to be using Jay Happ to start a game if they're facing elimination? Because I don't. It de- prob- no, probably not. No. But it depends on... They're going to, they're going to, they'll go every batter at that point if they're facing elimination. Every pitch. It's different. Every, every pitch. Every, they're going to have a new guy throw a new pitch every single day. Every single... Uh, pitch you know what i was saying good anyway That's couple really, guys that was really good couple guys who are uh getting hot at the right time so judge since August oh, i thought 12, you were gonna i thought you were gonna lead with tyler wade my bad sorry you want me to lead with tyler wade <laughs> no it's just it's just funny it's funny that he's hot now and he's gonna be on this uh well on this this the topic reason i was leading with judge is because we're not gonna i know we're probably not gonna spend much time on him and we're gonna spend more time on tyler wade so let me quickly <laughs> tell you the judge stats since august 20th which was the west coast trip He's got 14 home runs and a 178 double WRC plus. He's been a yeah. beast. Um, getting hot at the right time. Love it. Mm-hmm. Tyler Wade, since August 21st, is hitting 355, 412, 613 with a 424 weighted on base average. He's on the playoff roster. Oh, there's no doubt. There's, this has been something like, I'm so happy that he's hitting right now to, to shut everybody up. Just because I think, to me, again, like I, 
he's hitting. That's great. That's that's he's very still not good. getting at bats in the playoffs, really. No, but if that, you have again, to get him in at bat, you're not like, well, crap. That's an automatic out. I mean, maybe it, it doesn't matter. That's the whole point. It doesn't matter. Like it's it's nice that he's hitting now. It is. It's nice. It, well, no, it if changes, it doesn't matter, it then he should have been on the playoff nothing. roster regardless. And I right. think there's a couple reasons why he's going to make the playoff roster. One is he's performed over the last month. Yeah. Two is other injuries have opened up spots for him. And the outfield where he has played left field, we've seen him play center field. We know he can play third, short, and second. They need someone who they can just have on the, the last man on the bench to stick them pretty much wherever they need him. Right. But they didn't need that if other guys were healthy. They wouldn't have been a place for that. If Aaron Hicks and Giancarlo Stanton are on this roster, Tyler Wade's not on this roster. Um, it's... So the fact that he is also valuable as a base runner, uh, the defender, like to, to me, those are the bigger things. It's, it's, not, it's not his hitting. It, it, to, to me, him being on the roster really has nothing to do with his hitting. It's nice, but they don't care about that as much. They care that he is, one, first of all, he's hitting, he's playing with confidence. He's playing a lot more too. One of the big reasons we were, we had been talking about Wade and how he's such an anomaly and we don't know, really know what he is, is because He's had sporadic playing time, and now you're seeing him get a lot more regular playing time out there, and he's hitting the ball. So, you know, maybe he's just one of those guys who needs that and isn't really as much, or it's just an adjustment that he needs to make as he's getting older. But he's, his value for this team uh, as it stands with, with the playoff roster uh, and him as a player with his skill sets, it's defense, flexibility, and base running. That's it. That's the biggest thing. If he's able to go out there and, uh, you know, have to take an at-bat and get a single, great. Great. He can also lay a bunt down. He's a guy that gives you some different things, different looks than I think a lot of other players do. And uh, that's a valuable guy to have on the postseason roster. And I've been talking about this since freaking April. No, February. But it's not valuable if you can rather have Aaron Hicks. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. It's a moot point because we have Tyler Wade now and we don't have Aaron Hicks. And Tyler Wade has shown one of the beautiful things that we've seen you know, in the past three weeks is that he looks very comfortable in the outfield. And that's a big deal. Him being comfortable in the outfield, pretty much at any position, um, is a, is a, it's a great thing for Judd or for, uh, for Boone, because now he's able to take guys out if they need to, um, late in the game or, you know, move Tyler Wade around, uh, late in the game to play different positions. Like he's, he's just a, a nice little Swiss army knife for him to use. Right. Um, yeah. So, I think we're starting to – this is like the next uh, five days. We're starting to see the roster come together. And every, every night people speculate, oh, maybe this guy's on the roster, maybe this guy's not on the roster. I think a lot of it has to do with how many pitchers they carry in the first round because they can get away with carrying one fewer pitcher in the five-game series versus the seven-game series. Um, <clears throat> and I know we have a mailbag question about that in a second. But um, another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, – this ongoing Yankees versus the umpires thing. And it happened again on Friday night with Joe West making a horrendous call on Brett Gardner in the ninth inning. Should have been ball four. It was like six, seven inches outside, and he called it a strike. And that bled into the next day when Aaron Boone was arguing with Joe West in, the, in between the first and second inning. That was the game I was at. He wasn't I, even arguing with Joe West. He was just arguing, and Joe West was like, you know what? I'm old, crotchety, and I'm just well, going to Well, Joe West, I think, is the crew chief. Yeah, I know, but he's, did you see the distance? Like, that's a long-distance toss. <laughs> well, he, right. he, was at, he was at third base. Right, and then he, and Boone ran out to third base. So I didn't – it was hard to catch because, obviously, I'm, like, talking to people, and then all of a sudden I see 
Boone in full uniform, which is weird. He was in his full uniform. I forgot he was number 17, talking to Joe West around third base. And we've ta- this has been such an ongoing trend with this team this year. It's going to seriously suck if something like this happens in the playoffs. If one call goes bad in the playoffs, are we going to get a snowball effect? Well, I mean, the snowball effect has already happened. It's been, it's been, it's been, uh, you know, culminating for pretty much the entire season ever since, ever since he had his uh, his, his rampage on that um, on that doubleheader day game. But look, I mean, there is such there's such a problem with with the way Joe West handles things right now. The fact that Major League Baseball still has this guy running out there, I, I, country country Joe got to go. Like he's got to go. The guy can't even move. He's he's hunched over, stuck on a, on top of a Mets player. Was that Raja Davis? Stuck literally in like a horrible position on top of a player and cannot get up. Needs Why do help. umpires not have to pass physical fitness tests? I, I don't know. They need to. Fa- they should pass physical N- fitness tests. NBA and NHL and NFL. I know they have to do more moving around. They all have to pass physical fitness tests. But guess what? MLB umpires sometimes have to stand out in July ninety nine degree heat in full gear behind the plate. And we see, we've seen this happen where they get like heat stroke and they pass right. out. It's because you don't even have to, out of shape. You don't have to pass out to, to make you, uh, to make it affected, like to be effective, affected. You have to be horribly out, out of shape, horribly overweight. Underhydrated. Who knows what you're drinking? You're not eating well. Who knows if you're sleeping? He probably sleeps all day when he's not umpiring, honestly, but he can't move. He just can't move. Like it's it's it, you can't do your job. If no. you can't get off of a player when you've fallen on said player, it's time to hang them up. But it's also it can you can see umpires get out of position because they're too immobile to run to the bag or put themselves in a good position where the throw is coming in from. It, ha- it doesn't happen a lot. But yeah, I mean I even mean, that, that strike but call the, from the point is Gardner, the point of I brought up is is not umpires guess what? We've got human umpires for the rest of this season and next season and probably the season after that. But we certainly have them for the rest of this season and into the playoffs. So that's not going to change. So we can talk about robot umpires all we want, but guess what? We're not going to get them this year. There's a problem with the Yankees and the umpires this year. It is well established. There's no doubt about it. They've got a quick trigger on throwing guys out. So Brett Gardner gets a bad strike call in the playoffs, yells something. He could be gone. I don't have the. I, yeah, I have no confidence in the umpires uh, taking in the situation of a playoff game and understanding that, and then not tossing somebody because I could see them doing something very, very emotional and erratic because of the the history uh, of what's happening here, uh, especially if it's one of the guys that they've been into in the past. Um, it's not just the Yankees either. So I I already know that it's going to be oh every like the umpires are out to get the Yankees. The Astros have dealt with the same thing this year. Justin Verlander got tossed out of a game um, with, with a quick hook when he was like had his back turned. I know he was yelling at the umpire, but he had his back turned to the umpire and he got thrown out. So it's not just the Yankees dealing with this situation. Yeah, no, it's it's um I, I just think it's more it, it's it's everybody's more hyper aware of what's happening with the strike zone. They know the technology's around the corner, so I think it's just pissing people off even more. Yeah, they're and, super sensitive about it. Definitely. Yeah, and 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 also exactly, and then you know that um, I mean it's being covered all over the place. Like it's super easy to get all these things, so it's in their face a lot. 
and the umpires just have the part. Of, the problem, I think, uh, the the biggest problem is not even. I mean, yeah, obviously the calls on the field are a problem, but when there's no accountability, it that just brings people to a boiling point. I think the fact that someone doesn't take accountability for something that they know is and so very clear that is wrong, and they just keep going on without taking any kind of responsibility or accountability over what's happening, it just makes people more mad, and that boils up, especially when you're going through an entire summer. Um, playing in hot-ass uniforms, 162 games, you're going to get to a point where it's just it's, it's enough. And, and these guys are working their asses off, and they're getting called out um, because a fat guy behind the, behind the plate can't get into the right position to see a call. I mean, if you look at – I know some guys take a, a, a more of an angle than, some, than others in the way that they sit behind the catcher. But holy, holy crap, it was Joe West uh, off-center on that call. Like, from where his angle was, that, pro- that ball probably did cross the plate. They also lean on the catcher. It's probably heavy, especially Joe West. He's probably putting a lot more. He's that's probably a third leg. He's, he's using a bromine as a third leg. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad. Poor guy. Maybe no, we know why not Gary poor Sanchez. guy. Not poor guy. No, no, no. Poor he bromine. Oh, poor, poor bromine. Yeah, not he, poor they, Joe West. They need to be. They need to be held to a higher standard physically. You're right. Do we know that Gary Sanchez didn't pull his groin muscle because Joe West was leaning his fat ass on? <laughs> no, him? we don't. We don't know that. Just saying. We'd have to look back and see what the crew sheet, what the uh, you know, where the set, the setup was, or the umpires. Because if if it was like you know, two or, within three games, give me a three game radius. If I got Joe West behind home plate of a Gary Sanchez caught game, there's I, it's connected. It's connected. It's connected. I want to know. I need to know what Joe West did the, the night before that game. I need to know what he ate. We need to we need to get CSI on this. Gary and Encarnacion are the two big injuries that we're still waiting on. And uh, Encarnacion, they said, could be back before the end of the regular season. But Sanchez might actually not make an appearance before the ALDS. Yeah. Does that concern you? I mean, of course it's concerning because that means he's not healthy enough to do it. Or they're just not trying to – if they're going to test him, they have um, – they, they know get that him some DH time next weekend in Texas? Like, I feel like – I feel like they're comfortable. rust off because then that's – you're talking about a three-week sit-out because yeah. – it's two weeks of baseball and then a week in between the regular season and the playoffs starting. I just think they're comfortable enough to to know that that he can get reps off the out of the, uh, you know the the regular gameplay and, and get some get some swings, get some live get some live reps from from guys who uh, can throw. Bring a bring a couple minor league guys in, and throw to him, um, or whatever it is. Some some bullpen guys are not going to be on the uh, they're not going to be on the roster. Who, whatever the situation is, I think they can get him ready for it. So I don't think that's as much of a concern at this point, point. Um, and they're comfortable with him being able to, to just jump into that. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Obviously, the health and, and the, the um, situation of that groin, as long as it's, it's in a, a good place and he's able to do everything, you don't want a limited Gary Sanchez out there because we've seen what that guy looks like, and that's not fun. We don't want a limited Gary Sanchez behind the plate. And even his at-bats, like when you see him and he's not able to, to engage his core to the fullest, he's just a different guy out there. He's, and he's, pull, he's so pull-happy. Yeah, and, and then he's so vulnerable. vulnerable. There's that ball. word again. I can't say that word. Vulnerable to the outside breaking ball, and he and he has lost at bats. Right, and when he gets down, like then you start seeing a, he, you start seeing bad at bats. Period. Uh, right. So they need to make sure he's healthy. If he's healthy, then I don't really care if he gets in or not. I think they'll get him ready for it, and I think he'll be ready for it. He's he's been around long enough where he knows how to get his, himself ready for um, for a game, even if he's been sitting out. So yeah. Just as long as Joe West is not calling any games in <laughs> Texas yeah. or any games in the ALDS. Right. Um, if you want to go to the ALDS and you're not coming with us and you're looking for seats or you're looking to go to a football game, a 
You know, preseason hockey is back. I was at a bar uh, a couple uh, last week in Midtown meeting some friends, and there was a preseason Rangers game going on. Yeah. I had no clue that hockey was already starting. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to go to. Hockey's always on. I feel like it just ended. It, cause, yeah, it's a long, it's not as many games, but it's a long season. SeatGeek is the way to go. They prove there's a better way. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for. For all, uh, SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. In an industry that uh, tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. All you have to do is download their app. They have 50,000 five-star reviews. That means they have great customer satisfaction. They pull together millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate them on a scale of 1 to 10. They also color code them. Uh, in a very easy scale to understand, go for the green seats. Then you know you're not getting a ripoff, and you can just have confidence that the seats are legitimate. They're not overpriced. You're going to see a great game, whatever it is. Maybe you want to go to the theater. Maybe you want to go see a comedy show. It's all good stuff, Scott. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm, I've said in the past that I'm going to use it to go see Jets games. I don't think it's going to happen this year. For, I'll tell for, you why you can right go now. for cheap this year. Well, you know, maybe they get back all their healthy, uh, get, get back their guys and, and uh, the, the tickets will ramp up for them. But yeah, no, I've used them in the past for Jets games. I've used them to, uh, to see Springsteen. Um, I've even used them to see G-Love and Special Sauce if you go that far back and uh, try to throw in some, some college bands. That was actually a college band from when my sister was in school that got me involved. So uh, you go pretty much and, and you can find anything on SeatGeek. It's a great place to go. Not to mention the color coding that Andrew's talking about makes it super easy to find a good deal. SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code Bronx for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code Bronx for $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's talk about Domingo Herman. So I just want to, we're not going to speculate. We talked about this before we started recording. We're not in a place to speculate on what happened, especially when it's as serious of an issue as domestic violence. But I just want to run down the timeline of what we know has happened or think we know has happened. Monday, there was an incident. We know there was an incident either at late night at uh, Herman's home or at CeCe's gala event, the charity event. Or both. Or both. Tuesday to Wednesday, the Yankees heard, quote, whispers. That was a quote from Aaron Boone that he said. Uh, Herman pitches on Wednesday in that game. Thursday, news broke uh, that he was placed on the commissioner's, um, was it the, was the actual or, name? Uh, administrative leave under the joint MLB, MLB PA domestic violence policy. So right. we, we found out on Thursday that he was placed on that and there was an investigation. And then on Friday, he was ruled out for the rest of the season and the playoffs. There's no police report that was filed, but... It went up the chains of the MLB of MLB um, executive uh, branch, and they they basically suspended Herman. So something serious happened, uh, and the Yankees have put out a statement that they agree with the actions taken by Major League Baseball. So, yeah. from what I gather from all of this information and the reaction of the Yankees, something happened. Oh yeah, something definitely happened, and I mean you can also look at the fact that the MLBPA did not, um, you know, try to fight this at all or, or appeal the suspension or anything or get involved in that way. Then there's there's something definitely that, that happened here, and um, you know it's a it's a bad scenario all around. Obviously, it's like you know this is this is just you shake your head at it and you're, 
you know, there's there's no room for this in society. First of all, there's no room for this in, in any place. So the fact that uh, that Domingo Herman is disappointing. Um, obviously, we don't know all the information, but they everybody. I think. You know, based on what we've seen and what we know, even if there's some speculation about this and there's, you know, reasonable doubt, there's no reason for him to be playing um, amongst no. these, these allegations. If you put him out there like in the this. playoffs, that would no. be, it would be wrong, first of all. Yeah. And I think that would be detrimental to the team because that guy's got other stuff going on in his right. life so, and in his brain. Um, you know, they're, they're, they put him on, on, on leave and, uh, and I guess everything will... Uh, they'll they'll sort through all the information and figure it out, but it's it's a bad scenario. It's a bad. It's, it's terrible. Don't terrible you almost scenario. feel? Because I I feel kind of like I feel wrong for being like upset at how this affects the team. You know what I mean? Because like something terrible happened. Of course. And, but like I, it's hard to separate the two because you can't separate the two. The fact of the matter is, Herman's a big loss for the Yankees. Right. Yeah. So. On the mound, there's 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 baseball implications. There's no doubt about it. And uh, it. It's it's a weird thing to have to to go into that, but that's what we're here for. It is what it is. Uh, unfortunately, um, Domingo Herman, um, just not he's not going to be with the team, and uh, and he who knows what happens with, with him. He might in the future. have to be the team next year. Like this might be the end oh, of no. what we see with, for Domingo Herman. A team might take a chance on him, but the if Yankees there's, if might there's decide. Anything like we thought, there was speculation. I, I guarantee you, he will not be with the Yankees. The Yankees will. The Yankees have. There's no room for this. There's certainly no room for well, what. Chapman. No, depending on what's happened. I don't know the details. Again, like there's there's no reason to speculate. There's no room for anybody to speculate in this until like full details are out. There's two very conflicting reports that that, that put different scenarios out there. Um, it's just a uh, it's just bad all around. Bottom yeah. line, bad, bad, bad. So we got um, Craig and Michael King was called up to replace Herman uh, from Warwick, Rhode Island. Shout out. Uh, let's uh, get into mailbag questions. The first one's about Herman, so this uh, just goes in nicely. It's from Andrew Campbell. After hearing about the shocking news regarding Domingo Herman, how do you guys think his absence will affect CeCe's chances at making the postseason roster? Does it simply create an opening for Sabathia that would have otherwise been unlikely, or does it hurt his chances of making the roster, as there is now less of an opportunity to utilize both pitchers in tandem, with CeCe piggybacking off of Herman, um, or going twi- or Herman going twice through the order, is what I think he was trying to say. Well, I think it's an interesting scenario that he laid out the fact that it may hurt hit hurt it um because if there's another it, it, like so if, if cc were there and uh we still and herman was still on the roster um then you're you're definitely looking him to to come out of the bullpen and and you know do something in a short stint but now the fact that there's not a guy that can go more distance well does right. that hurt him because now you can have you need another guy that can go distance right cc can't do what herman was going to do it's not exactly. like you just very, trade one for one they're right. different guys yes you need something you need what herman can do who's the guy who can do what herman could do or not exactly but similar to that point somewhere someone who can who has the potential to go distance um and and can get get out yeah no so i think it's an interesting scenario i think the fact that they are um, you know, trying him out in the bullpen in in Tampa, and, and you know they, and they made Texas. that announcement. And in Texas, I think that's that's very clear that they're looking for a spot for him. You know, or they're or they're at least uh, they're they're playing it out. Um, I would be surprised at this point now that CC would not be on the roster. I think he will be on the roster at this point. Hmm. Yeah, do I think it's the right decision? I, I don't know. I could go either way. Well, this is uh, to at Jason A 525s question. With Herman gone, there's uh, possibly room for two of these three. Sessa, Loisica, and Heller. Which two do you take? So Sessa this season has pitched 78 and two-thirds innings to a 366 ERA, which is very good. 457 FIP, which indicates that uh, you know 
walks uh, walks might have gotten him in trouble and some other factors. Uh, home run ball may have gotten him in trouble. But So his FIP is, is worse than his ERA, but his ERA is good. He has long man potential. Loisica has not been as good in 29 and two-thirds innings, 425 ERA, 474 FIP. I see his four and a half walks per nine innings as a huge red flag for the Yankees in the playoffs. And then Heller, he's only been in three games, but he's got high strikeout potential and the ability to go two innings. Yeah, I think that um, you're definitely – so Sessa has put a lot on uh, on paper. I think he's been – he's by far had his best year. There's no doubt. He's been a lot more uh, dependable than he has in the past. There's such a narrative about Luis Sessa on social media that people hate him for, for un, un, unknown reasons because, you know, I think they're <laughs> they, they just can't get past that he's a better pitcher or that he's actually – uh, he's always had a good mix. He's always had the, that uh, that arsenal. Just hasn't really been able to put it together. And it seems like this year he took a big step, I think, uh, moving forward. But um, I think so. I think Boone, as far as comfort level, if you're ranking it on that, because I think that's a big deal. Yep. Sessa's number one in, in there. Uh, I, I definitely agree. And Sessa, we just talked about who can do what Herman was doing. Sessa can pitch the similar amount of innings as Herman out of those three guys. Funny enough, they're in similar positions, you know, a year apart where Herman was looking to take that leap um, and, and, you know, had shown some some good flash and, and you know, done some good things out of the bullpen. And now you're looking to him to potentially start a game or just get more length. Uh, and I think Sessa's getting to that point, not to the extent, but I think he's he's definitely, you know, in a similar situation. So, yeah, I think they're they're when you look at the two players and what they can potentially give you if their ceilings are, are you know, remotely close Sess is the guy that would be uh that would be there because i just don't think loisiga has put enough on paper to no. show you that you could be confident although he has pitched a lot better recently four and a half walks scares the crap out of me yeah which is funny because you know his mo in the minors was he doesn't walk guys uh and and heller i know it's only three games but he had like he has over i think his strikeout rate uh, in the minors this year was like 10 and a half. And in the short time in the majors, it's like 11 and a half. He could be a, a short inning burst guy where if you need a strikeout, um, obviously he's not going to be high in the pecking order, but he can do things that Loisica can't do. Whereas Loisica is more similar to Sessa where he's going right. to go more, going to go further. And so Sessa is better in a longer stretch than Loisica and Heller is probably better than Loisica in a shorter stretch. So Loisica is sort of in the middle, and I don't really trust him right now. Well, I think Loisica and Sessa are competing for one spot, and then Heller, if you're looking for that guy, like you said, are he's more of a strikeout guy. He's a he's a guy who could come out and put out a fire, I think, um, and he can still give you two innings. You know, he right. can do that. He's done it. Uh, he's done it this year. He's done it in AAA. Um, they've they've seen the length from him. So um, yeah, and he looks really good right now. I mean, his arm his arm looks live, man. It looks really good. I think yeah, make, his ERA is high, but I didn't want to include it because it's three games. It's like, it's, yeah. yeah. So uh, the Heller's next- a weapon. I mean, Loisica is, the funny thing is, is, like I don't think people realize that he throws damn, damn near 100 miles an hour. Loisica? Yeah, he can, throw, he can yeah, ramp it up. I don't care if you're walking four guys in nine innings. It's, 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 it's guys can of, hit 99 of, miles an hour. So It's a lot of walks. Uh, Eric Wink, at Eric Wink, says, who will be the postseason X Factor? Very simple. First name that comes to your, comes to your mind. I mean, I have a feeling everybody's saying the same thing. It's Luis Severino. Yes. It's, it's, it's That's clear away Luis Severino. <laughs> That's the answer. Like, everyone's like, oh, what about Luis Sessa? What about Tyler Wade? Like, last guy on the rock. No, it's Luis Severino. Do not overthink it. Yeah, no, it's 1,000%. I mean, literally, you're getting the best pitcher back in baseball. Like, the, the argument is him and a couple other guys. Sprinkle in whoever you want. His name's in that, in that conversation. And if he can come out and be that guy, 
um, you know, to complement what we've seen with Paxton, potentially what we with playoff Tanaka. That's our, that's his new name. His name is not Tanaka. It's playoff, playoff Tanaka. Tanaka could be an X factor because if playoff Tanaka, 2017 playoff Tanaka shows up, or what I would prefer to call him, good splitter grip Tanaka shows up. Well, then the Yankees have three starting pitchers. If they don't, then they have two starting pitchers. If uh, assuming Severino's good. And that's a big difference. I'm not going to say he's an X factor because I expect playoff Tanaka. So playoff Tanaka is just the guy that I think is going to roll out con- there. So even if I grant you that he nuts up in big moments, yeah. the thing that's more concerning to me is sort of like he doesn't know if he can grip the ball. That has nothing to do with handling a big moment. That is like a different. Oh, his body factor. responds to it. No, no, no. His body responds to it. So he's gonna put out those. He's gonna put out those. The, the, the sweat glands will put out just enough okay. gotcha. to get that grip. The the nail will be cut to the perfect length so that he can get that cut. I mean, it's it's all it's all inclusive. It's not just you okay. know. It's not just one or two things. Playoff Tanaka comes to play. The sweat glands come to play. The manicurist comes to play. Wouldn't it be funny if Rawlings just like for the playoff supplied baseballs from 2015? And, like and it was everything just a de- it was became changed. a dead ball. Yeah, everything was changed. Justin Jay Haps, Verlander Jay is Haps out there number striking one out like fifty guys a game. Yeah, it's well. I think it's to, to more the the point. The the long fly balls are staying in the park. Right. That, he that gives funny. up a fly ball off the end of the bat, and it goes to like two seventy in right field. And he's like, "Wait, what happened?" You start seeing ducks flying uh, and, and landing in front of outfielders because they're not expecting the ball to stop. Pitchers stop are out there moving. throwing rocks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ted Larson, do you know what, if any, changes will go into the off-season routines of pitchers who are just now coming back? Severino, Batances, Montgomery. It seems like it would stunt their full rehab recovery process. So how do they balance that and the need to be ready for a full 2020? Uh, Arizona Fall League for Montgomery, he asks, or do they all just shut down after the postseason as they typically would and then resume normal off-season throwing schedules? A couple things. Montgomery, we haven't really heard much about since the one outing in Toronto. And Batances, this question, I think, came in before the news that Batances um, partially tore his Achilles. Right. So, I mean, that changes everything for Batances, we know. Well, he's also a relief pitcher where I think it changes things. It's very different for him than it is for a starter. Yeah, and Montgomery, I think he's just got... I I don't think they'll send him to the Arizona Fall League, but I think that uh, he's got... He's still building up strength. He's still, like he said, I've got a new arm now. I've got to figure that out. And his goal was to get back on the mound this year because that's a milestone for guys after surgery. And he did that. Yeah. And then I think he's eyeing next spring training to be ready for. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's there's really much value because I don't think you, you really stunt growth in the offseason by not having them pitch because these guys need the rest as well. So you're also going to be getting him back into the semblance of what spring training looks like and how you need to ramp up for a season. And that doesn't mean throw all offseason to get your arm to a point, like because then you're going to battle fatigue and uh, pot- potential too much stress on that arm during the season as well when you really need it. So I think that they will do a, you know, whatever. They the, might have him throw during the October just to simulate things. I, I think he's. I I guarantee he's throwing. They'll probably send him to Tampa for a little while and do some do some things down there and work with uh, work with their guys. But um, I don't think it changes too much. Really, I think they're going to go through as much of a you know a prescripted, regimented offseason that they would typically do, or maybe that plan has changed now because of their situation. But whatever that situation, whatever that plan is, I think they will implement it and and just really 
try to get that arm as strong as possible and ready for spring training because you have plenty of time come spring training to ramp up and when pitchers and catchers report in February to get ready for the season. And even if it's not something where he's totally ready, like they, there's there's time to build that arm up in the beginning of next year so that you don't have to uh, rush it or or feel like you're you know behind the eight ball at any point. So I think there's plenty of time for that. And for Severino, I think a lot depends on how much of a workload he has for the next four weeks. Yeah, let's hope he's working a lot. You know? right. let's, hope, let's hope he's throwing a lot. They might be like, all right, you threw, you threw plenty, bud. Shut it down. Um, next but, uh, and final but, question. But. Especially with Severino, they're, they're not going to overthrow him because I don't think that's a thing. For, for Severino, especially a guy like – and really for Jordan Montgomery, like these guys have gotten as far as they are. They need to be healthy and then be able to execute within spring training. That's plenty of time for them to get back on their horse. Final question, Duncan. I'm a UK-based Yankees fan who watches as many games as we can on MLB.com and have now been to games in New York, Miami, and London. Watching the Angels series, there was a lot of talk about MVP with Mike Trout apparently leading the way. I don't understand how a player can be the league MVP when he plays for a losing team. Surely it must be a player who influences, influences successes, success for the team. Can you explain? Also, do you agree that DJ is the Yankees MVP or should there be other players considered? Okay, so this goes down, and I'm, I'm sure this is a, uh, a frustrating and confusing debate, especially for, for newer fans or UK-based yeah. fans who don't see this every day. And, and really, because uh, we don't, because honestly, there's no clarity on our end either. The, Writers have different opinions. And- the different, the, the, there's, no, there's no actual description of MVP that says the most valuable player to the team and to their situation. It's how you interpret the word valuable, which can be interpreted different ways. And a lot of people, and the way that it's played out for as long as I can remember, is that the MVP has always gone to the best offensive player. Well. Period. It's not always an offensive player. Usually offensive player, but best player. Usually offensive player. Usually offensive player. Yeah. And that's Mike Trout every year. So it's like, but see, that's the frustrating thing for people. It's like, well, then why doesn't Mike Trout win it every year? Some years, a guy will have close to a Mike Trout year on a winning team, and then they get it. And the, always the argument is, well, they played for a winning team. Well, right. it's like, well, Mike Trout was still better. What's different this year? It's because no one had close to Mike Trout season. Mike Trout had an unbelievably huge year this year, and he's, his numbers are far and away better, and he didn't even play the last two weeks. Right. Yeah, so, so that's, that's the thing. player award, Mike Trout every single season. And they have it's offensive... It's question. They have slugger awards. They have offensive player awards. They're just not the same. They're not the, they're not the MVP. They're not the... the um, the, the hardware that you want, they're, they're nice. You know, they're ones that you put in the garage or up in your, uh, in your office, but they're not ones you put on the mantle. Like those are, those are the, the big hitter awards. Those are the ones that they, uh, they can really use for leverage and stuff like that as well. So I, until there's a clarification, which won't happen because that's just the way baseball is. It moves like the Titanic uh, before it sank. It's slow moving, I should say. <laughs> uh, the, they, they just don't have any clarity around this. And there's no... There's no agreement from from everybody who votes on what they're looking for from a, from a candidate for the winner. You ask what the winner looks like to five different different uh, different writers, you might get five different answers. Unfortunately, I've said this on shows before, but do you think that it would be better if they changed if their MVP award stayed, but they added say a Babe Ruth award? similar to a Cy Young Award. Cy Young Award has to go to the best pitcher. Babe Ruth Award has to go to the best hitter. And then MVP can go who whoever is the, quote, most valuable to a team's success. That can be pitcher, it could be relief pitcher, it could be batter. Yeah. 
Look, I, I definitely think there should be a distinction. I think that they should make the the, the best offensive player more of a glamour um, award. I think they, they should have that as as the guy, not just the you know the because no one cares about the silver, silver sluggers. Slugger. Every position gets a silver slugger. It's not impressive. Right, I understand that, but there there are other smaller. They need to make they need to make a clear distinction because MVP, I think, as as interpreted as value. Is a big deal, and I think that when you see that, you look at what DJ LeMahieu did this season, and hell yeah, he's probably the MVP of the season if you're looking at value based on what the season, what the team has done. No, there's other guys on out. winning teams who have done great things, I know, like the, Alex Bregman. But I he's, think. I'm saying he's he's firmly in this conversation. Sure, I mean he's in the conversation anyway. Not to the point where, not where it's going to be. Uh, much of a, I mean, MLB Network puts his name, his face up there on the MVP. I understand that, graphics. but it's not going to be. He's not going to. It's not going to be close. He's not going to get it. It's he's not gonna barely going to. He might. He probably won't even get any first place votes. That's the problem. The problem is, yeah, okay, you're talking about it, uh, and you're you're putting his name on 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 the on the graphics and stuff, but it's not really a consideration. It's Mike Trout. He's going to win because it's the best. <laughs> I don't player. really have a problem with it because Mike Trout's ridiculous. No, it's not having a problem with it. It's just, can we just be clear on what it is? That's all. Let's just be clear on what it is. And today, the way that the award's given out, it's not given out to the most valuable player per, for a team and how they affect a, a given a given team's performance. It's who's putting up the best numbers. That's how it's interpreted today. So right. I, it's confusing I, I, for, for a lot of people, I think, that are either more casual or who are you know newer to, um, to MLB. But... Sorry, All right, Duncan, that, I wish we had a better answer. And that's it for mailbag questions. Submit them at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast, or you can tweet us and Instagram us and Facebook us and all that kind of stuff. Rate and review the podcast. We got a lot of episodes coming up with, hopefully, a deep playoff run. There'll be one episode for every playoff game. Uh, and till then, we're going to be doing our normal Monday to Thursday schedule. But we had some people ask on social what the plan is for the playoffs. So they play, then we record. That's, that's how it goes. We've got voicemails to end this show. Uh, call up the line, 646-480-0342. There's a lot of stuff that's happened with the celebration and different problems with people and, p- and pitching injuries and almost injuries, so it should be a good batch of voicemails. Any final words? You're going to get a lot from us during the playoffs. The, we, we're going to a lot of games this year, too, so um, we have uh, – don't, don't expect the exact same audio quality. I'll, I'll put that out there because I'm a, I'm a stickler for, for a lot of this. We do have some damn good mics that we, uh, that we, have, that we have gotten that will be good for out in, the, out in the field because we are probably going to be recording on a park bench outside Yankee Stadium. For some of the games, other games like will be The games normal, that we will be at, we will most likely in our be apartment, recording my from – park bench so we maybe we'll do a, anybody who's coming out to spill out we could get we could get a live show going um outside one of the uh one of the playing fields one of the practice we'll just say a park bench in the bronx good luck finding it it's like <laughs> la bodega good luck exactly go find it all right we'll talk to you on thursday believe it or not george isn't at home please leave a message at the beep i must be out Before I pick up the phone, where could I be? Believe it or not, I'm not home. Man, I feel so bad for the chances. This walk here could be a this. What a crappy year. Put them in a bad position. But hey, Debbie looks like Debbie, and that's the biggest thing, the most important thing. We'll be number 28.
Yeah, this is Matt from Florida. Savvy just pitched, looked great. And then Tantus. Partially torn Achilles. Heart is broken. One of my favorite pitchers. You know, we may never see him again in Yankee uniform. It's a little tough. I wanted to see him in the playoffs so bad. It's a nightmare this season. For injuries has been a nightmare. I don't know what to chalk it up to, but on the brighter side, 99 wins. Let's keep it rolling. We're not dousing ourselves in champagne, but we're dousing ourselves in Labatt Blue Light, baby. Go Yankees. Happy clinching the AL East. Hey, you already know, this is Enrique, captain of the BP crew, South Florida. Man, our boys are right back at the top of the AL East where they belong, baby. And we ain't done. Y'all better get ready because the Yankees are coming, baby. Chase for 28. It's happening. Yeah. AL East champs, let's go. Sevy, Paxton, Tanaka. Our pitching rotation is going to carry us to the World Series. Game over, 20th championship. Can't wait. See you at game two of the ALDS with the Bronx Pinstripe crew. Let's go, Yanks. I tried this once already, but my phone died. But I'm doing it again, because we fucking did it. DJ hits a bomb. Fucking, fucking flaming pile of trash. Clint Frazier hits a bomb. We're just, we're just hitting bombs all over the fucking place. Guardy, we're fucking Guardy hits a bomb. Wait, let's not even talk about Guardy hitting a hundred fucking bombs at like 107 years old. Not even gonna talk about that shit. Everyone's hitting bombs. JJ's popping champagne. The fucking clubhouse is popping champagne. I'm, we, we did it, guys. Day late, but we fucking did it. Let's go. Next stop, October 5th. Let's do it. 2019, baby. Let's fucking get it. First time in seven years. Let's fucking go. Let's go beat everyone's ass. Bring home the fucking championship, baby. Wow! Let's go! New York Yankees, baby! Woo! ALE champions! You already know! Let's go! New York Yankees are ALE champions. Let's get it. No Machado, no Bryce Harper, the most players on the injury list. Let's get it. Spreading the news. Let's go, World Series, baby. Hey, dude, it's Dinkle from Croatia. Yankees champions, dude. Dude, you see the Naka time? You throw the ball, it sinks? Yeah, man. Going to win the world title, dude. Oh my god. I ordered pizza with pepperoni to celebrate the win. Go Yankees, he's being cold, dude. Smell you later, Boston and Tampa. We are on to October. What's up, guys? Tyler Danker here, former intern of the BP Show. Had to get on the flip side of this voicemail line after tonight. AL East champs, baby. First time in seven years. After all the injuries this team has seen this entire year, what an unreal accomplishment. All the way from DJ LeMay, you having an MVP caliber season, all the way down to Kendrick Morales and everybody in between. So much to celebrate, so let's celebrate tonight. But listen, we're not done yet. Got a lot of work still left to do. Got a lot of unfinished business. Let's keep up this same energy going to the postseason, baby. Let's go, Yanks. 
Go Yankees! All the way, baby, let's go! Yo, Red Sox fans, how's it going? Where's all the trash you were talking last year? Yeah, how about that AL East championship right in your face before you even won the last year? How about that? Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.